Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. So something came to mind when we were singing earlier, the first song. About two, well over 200 years ago, churches, denominations, would actually literally fight over parts of creeds, and not even necessarily important parts of creeds. And an unusual pastor showed up. And what's interesting is he, in a way, was ridiculed by everybody. Because he had the thought that the gospel is such good news, and the joy of the Lord is our strength. And, and if you read writings from over 200 years ago, you'll see a lot of ministers, a lot of pastors didn't get that. And he was so touched by the gospel and so enthralled, he wrote a lot of hymns. And he was actually persecuted, opposed by all these different denominations because he looked and saw unity of the love of Christ being fueled by the joy of the Lord was what God was after. <clears throat> Sorry, this doesn't go with that up there. This is just from this morning. Um, and I guess it came to mind because he read Psalm 98 and he was so touched. And he saw Jesus in it, even though the psalm didn't declare Jesus because it didn't have New Testament when David wrote it. And he was so moved, he decided to rewrite part of it. And he's not affecting gospel. He never claimed it was a psalm. But he wrote this beautiful song based on Psalm 98 and how Jesus fit into it. And we sang it this morning. The song is now called Joy to the World. And it's just powerful, and I guess I would just thought of it, because I just thought of the power of the joy of the Lord in, in Isaac Watts' life. Because that pastor wasn't popular with either side. I mean, the Congregationalists embraced him, but they weren't the dominant churches at the time. And uh, so it does go with this, because it is about joy. <clears throat> so God a taste Sunday, that's traditionally what this has been called for like 400 years now. Gaudete is just the Latin word for rejoice. I, I guess it's also the French word, but I don't speak French. So, um, But it's all based on Philippi, Philippians 4.4, that Gaudete in Domino Semper Iterum Dico, Diso, or Dico, Gaudete. One reason I like studying Latin is I never had to worry about my accent. Because yeah, there was nobody around to tell you that's not how you pronounce it. But it's rejoice the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Because the, the third week of Advent is the joy week. And so the message is about joy. One thing I really appreciate, though, is thankfully, joy is not about happy all the time. Uh, there's a song, and I'm really glad we don't sing it anymore, where we used to say, I'm, what is it? I'm in right, downright, upright, whatever, happy all the time. The problem is that's not really a scriptural thing. That, that gives a wrong idea of what joy is. Because joy is not about giddiness. Joy is about a deep strength because of your attachment to God. Um, When Paul wrote this scripture, it's important to remember he's in prison near the end of his life. So he's he's had a lifelong battle of a lot of hard stuff. And Jesus, Jesus wasn't pleasant all the time. Sometimes he said hard things. Not everything that happened to Jesus was pleasant all the time. You know, remember the whole idea of Gethsemane. Lord, if if there's any way to take this cup from me. But I'm surrendered to your will, not mine. 
So joy is not about giddiness. God's joy is not based on circumstance. It's rooted in deep attachment with him. It is relationship joy. We experience joy when we're with people that we know are happy to be with us. And the deep-rooted thing with God is he is always present with us. And though it may be contrary to how we feel it sometimes, he has declared that he sees us blameless in his sight, and he enjoys our presence. And it's our strength. I won't go into a lot because I know that I know I refer to Nehemiah 8 a lot, but I do have to at least say this part again. The lesson of Nehemiah 8 is when people were groveling on the ground full of shame, God told them to get up and party because God was happy to have his people back. And he was that's where we get the scripture, the joy of the Lord is your strength. God's joy with us is our strength. Shame is not a strength. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> so this is out of Psalm 16, and the first four verses are important, but I only have so much time, and so I'm, I'm jumping right to verse 5. This is an amazing thing David writes. The Lord is my portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. Helps if you understand, David already is aware of, when Israel divided the land, this is in the book of Joshua, they would cast lots for what tribe got what lot. And so the casting lot told you what land you got, what your portion was. David is saying what's beautiful. He was of the tribe of Judah, which had the lot, including Jerusalem. But he's saying, no, my real inheritance, my real lot is the Lord. So he's saying the Lord is, is the portion of my inheritance. He's not saying he's part of the inheritance. He's saying the Lord is the portion or the lotted land he inherits. Because David was amazing. What we seen as a man after God's heart is he really got that the physical wasn't the important part. The relationship is the important part. He says, you support my lot. He just finished saying his lot is the Lord. So you are the one who supports my relationship. David also, we get this from a lot of things. David knew he had flaws and he recognized, I'm in relationship with God because actually he is setting it up, not me. It's not on my strength, it's on his. The measuring lines have fallen for me in a pleasant place. Indeed, my inheritance, which is the Lord, is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has advised me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I use this sometimes when I, when I talk about recognizing the voice of God. Because he's saying, God instructs me. Then he refers to thoughts he has in the night. In other words, he recognizes God speaks to him in the thoughts of his mind. So he's saying, even at night, which is often the time we all worry, David's going, no, I have the Father with me. I have, I have the Lord with me. So my mind instructs me at night instead of worrying. That, that's almost a lesson right there. I have set the Lord continually before me. This makes me think of Hebrews 12. Remember where Jesus said, uh, not Jesus said, sorry, where the writer of Hebrews said that we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. So he saw the joy of getting his people back. He saw the joy of getting his family back. And he was able to look beyond the cross and the pain to that joy set before him. And this is similar. David is saying, I have set the Lord continually before me, which is the same thing we're exhorted to do, looking unto Jesus. It actually starts... Uh, chapter 10 is where it talks about all the great fathers of faith and examples of faith, men and women. and says, now that we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, let's throw away every weight 
that drags us down and every sin that would hinder us and look to Jesus, the one who started our faith and the one who finishes it. Set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. <clears throat> Therefore my heart is glad, my glory rejoices, my flesh also will dwell securely, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. This, <clears throat> this is actually quoted in a couple places in the New Testament about Jesus. You will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the way of life in your presence is fullness of joy. Again, this affirms it's God's presence is the source of our joy, not external things. In fact, there's some songs based on this psalm about you're in your presence, I find fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. So joy strengths based on God's ever presence with us, yet our experience with it, how we actually experience that joy is affected by how aware we are of his presence and his love for us. And there are just ways to increase awareness. And I want us, we're going to practice one of them now, and we're going to base it on today's scripture, the traditional scripture for today, Randy read it. But I want to read it, but look at one particular point and one particular way that we stay aware. I mean, that's just the fact we're reading scripture is a way you practice awareness of the Lord. So we're going to read this. Um, so again, today's the, uh, the third Sunday of Advent's joy, the, the rose candle. The reason it's rose, not purple, it represents joy, and it's called the shepherd's candle because of what we read. And there were shepherds in the same region. Uh, sorry, this is the Young's literal version. There were shepherds in the same region lodging in the field and keeping the night watches over their flock. And lo, a messenger of the Lord stood over them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they feared great fear. And that's pretty understandable. I mean, you're just watching the flock like you've done a thousand days, but something really trippy happens this time. And it's interesting, because sometimes when we actually get awestruck with the Lord, it actually can start with things being uncomfortably weird to us, even a little fearful. And the messenger said to them, Fear not, for lo, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be to all people, because there was born to you today a Savior, who is Christ the Lord in the city of David, and this is to you the sign. You will find a baby wrapped, lying in a manger. And suddenly there came with the manger a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the hot, to the highest, upon peace, among people of goodwill. And there's actually debating in the church today on what that last line should say. Is it saying God only has goodwill towards people he's pleased with, or is it to everyone? I kind of go with the, it's towards everyone because of the context of the whole scripture. And that's also why I showed you the literal version, because this is the literal translation. So, upon earth, peace among people of goodwill. Obviously, it wasn't physical peace. Wars did not stop when Jesus showed up. He's talking about a peace that comes again from a person, awareness of presence. <clears throat> so, let me back up again, sorry. What was born to us is a savior. That's the good news. Okay? Awareness of presence comes from always remembering. Constant reminders to ourselves affirming. What has God done? What is he doing? And what is he going to do? Who does he say we are? And what's he doing about it? So he's the savior. From what did he save us? And I, I'm not after a set answer. Okay? So I'll give you mine. 
One of the things he saved me from, and this is it's weird even now, I'm getting a little nervous because it's hard for me to admit this for whatever weird reason, it's still an issue. Jesus saved me from loneliness. I was a very lonely person before Christ. I had no idea how to make friends. And, even, and to this day, I have to say, I enjoy solitude, but I did not enjoy it when I was young. Okay, it was lonely. And Jesus, one of the big things he saved me from was loneliness. And I'm not saying, I mean, there are times that we can still experience loneliness, and I do at times. But my normal setting was loneliness all the time before I met Christ. That's just where I was 24-7. So he saved me from loneliness. I want you to just think. Just think of something he saved you from. It doesn't have to be some big theological thing. Just anything. And it can be theological. Just anything. So just think on anything he saved you from. Okay, and if you have something and you're willing to say it, let me know. Actually, it's not much different than you. I was an outcast at there, and nobody would talk to me. I knew what it meant to be on. The only okay. friends I had had four legs. Okay. <laughs> and I, I, was, I could not even get into the dweebs and nerd club. Yeah. And so it was like, yeah, and then... I met her and I met Jesus at different times, but yeah, it's done the same thing for me. Yeah. Yeah, so for you it's also loneliness. Yeah. And even the fact that that you brought up that you have a wife, that's still a provision of God. That's that's beautiful. I'm no longer alone. No longer alone. <laughs> yeah, so we're thankful we're no longer alone. So really what this is when we talked about before is this is a practice of appreciation. But part of it, it's supposed to be, it's conversation with the Lord. And so it doesn't have to be artificial. I got to quick, I got to make up five things. So I'm thankful for trees. Well, I'm weird I said that because I actually am very thankful for trees. But because I enjoy walks in forests. But a lot of this, what has he done for you? Rehearse it. Remind yourself of it. What else has he saved us from? Yeah, go ahead. He became a father to somebody who was not raised with a father. Oh, good. So it became the loving father. Yeah. The image of what that should be. Okay, so he's your father. So he saved you from orphanhood. Yeah. You were without a father, and he saved you from that, and now you have a father. And he also is far more loving than the mother was capable of. Yeah. See, so yeah, that's. And let's be honest. He's more. He's more loving than any of us are. Yes. Because yes. I'm a parent, and yes. that's when I hold on to. Okay, God, you love my kids better than I do, yeah. so I'm not going to kill myself over guilt. So. Yeah. Go ahead. Glad Lorraine said that because that was a big deal to me too. That he was able to be a father to me, where my father was not able to do that. But also a, a very deep-seated hatred of myself, yeah. and that's totally gone. Oh, that's huge! And that's in case you couldn't all hear it, a deep-seated hatred of self. So Jesus saves a hatred from self, which is interesting because that's another thing that Isaac Watts got that other people. They almost felt like the, the holier you are, the more you think you are warm and you're just a bug to be squashed, the holier you are. And Isaac Watts writes hymns that aren't that, that, that story. It's uh, the idea that we're new creatures and God actually chose us for his delight. Yeah. So saved from hate, self-hatred. Okay. Anything else? Let me coach it. What, from what kingdom did he save us?
Because we are actually transferred. We're going to read the scripture. We were transferred from the kingdom. Death and darkness. Very good. Yep. We have been saved from the darkness and actually from a kingdom based on the law of sin and death. We've been, we've been saved from that. So, some of you already answered this. Like when you say for fatherhood, for a child, in what or for what did he save us? So he saved us from something, he also saved us to something. And some of you already mentioned, like you, you were saved from an orphan, which also means you were saved into a loving father. You were saved in both, a couple of you mentioned, into love. To which kingdom did he bring us? Truth and light. Truth and light, yep, the kingdom of the sun. And again, the reason we're saying this is awareness of presence. So God is always deeply connected to us. But our experience of joy is, if we forget that, we can lose our joy. We don't really lose the strength in a sense, but our, our emotional body, we don't experience joy when we lose that awareness. Whoops. Okay, good. So this is in Colossians. I'm going to read Colossians 2 and Colossians 1. It's just because of the order I put them in. It's not a big deal. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. So again, you didn't get cleaned up. You didn't make self alive. God just God is the initiator. He is the author and finisher of this. He just made you alive without you doing anything. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us, condemned us. He has taken it away now to the cross. Now this is an interesting line. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing for them over them by the cross. Amen. So he saved us from sin. He saved us from the judgment of sin. He saved us from hell. But it, it's deeper than that. It's not just about the consequences in the long term. Immediately now, I am forgiven of all things. But interesting, he has disarmed the powers and authorities. We're told in uh, Ephesians 6, we don't wrestle flesh and blood. Humans are not our enemy. No human is really my enemy. Now, they may think they're my enemy, but they're not. They, they may think it because the kingdom of darkness has clouded their mind. But they aren't the enemy. Principal, principalities, powers, and authorities in the spirituals, so the non-physical. They are my enemy, but it's interesting. They've been disarmed. How have they been disarmed? Because of forgiveness of our sins. That's important because we need to understand the spiritual warfare we get in. And the fact they've been disarmed because all our sins have been forgiven and our deaths been canceled kind of tells us what their armament is. Because bringing up remembrances of sin, bringing up indebtedness, is the attack on our mind. And that's why Paul says, listen, when they try to intimidate you and distract you with these thoughts... They've been disarmed. They actually can't hold against you anything because it's been forgiven. They can just try to convince you it's not. That's why it's a battle in the mind. And I'm not going to go through all that scripture. Being strengthened with all power. So this is when Paul prays. This is when he says, he's praying and he said this beautiful intro in Colossians 1 about how amazing God is. And says, that's why I pray for you to be filled with the knowledge of his will, a spiritual understanding and, and just, it's just beautiful. And he includes that you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks. Again, Colossians. He wrote Colossians the same time he wrote Philippians and Ephesians. They're the prison epistles. 
He's in prison this time, talking about joyous things. To the Father who is qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son. He loves, sorry, the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. We've been forgiven, and we are now in a different kingdom. And it's important to remember that, because again, the enemy attacks, and he does certain things to get our mind distracted, and it weakens our joy. And that makes us weak, because the joy of the Lord is our strength. So, I'm going I'm to share a story. I've never preached on this story, because I always thought it was a bizarre story. But this week when I was preparing this, this story just nagged my brain. So, we're going to have to go through it. Um, it's also, the stories, more details of it is told in Chronicles, but I'm just going to do the, the Samuel version. <clears throat> so David went to bring the Ark of God, <clears throat> which is in the house of Obed-Edom, to the city of David with rejoicing. So, actually what happened is prior to this, three months prior, they tried to bring the Ark of God, because this is after David's king, and he's having great victory over the Philistines. And he gets the Ark back. And he's going, great, we've got, because the Philistines, the ark was taken away. They get it back, but he doesn't pay attention to how it should be carried, so they try to bring it in a cart, and it jostles, and poor Uzzah reaches inside the ark to steady it, and he gets struck dead, and David freaks out, like, what is going on? I'm trying to do God's will. Lord, what are you doing here? I mean, he really freaks out. But eventually, he wants to bring it, but by then, you don't see it in this verse, but if you read the Chronicles version, David learned, people taught him, no, no, you're carrying the ark wrong. You have to put these rods through it. Only the priests are allowed to carry it. You don't put it on a wobbly cart. You have four priests carry it with these rods through it, the four of them. So anyway, he does that right now. So that's all exciting. But here's what's interesting. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed the bull and fatted calf. This is crazy, outlandish, wasteful. Worship, or at least in, in our view, it could be considered wasteful. They're only taking six steps. Oh, great, sacrifice someone. This is awesome. The ark's come closer. Okay, great. Okay, six more steps. Wait a minute, we got to celebrate more because now it's even six steps closer. I mean, this takes a long time. <clears throat> now, he's wearing the lean, this linen ephod. He's actually dressed like a priest, and God doesn't seem to mind that. And David was dancing before the Lord, just wearing this, this like toga almost like thing. And I, I won't go any graphicer than that. Anyway, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of, prom- of trumpets. So he's dancing with all his might for a long time. Like, this is not a guy that's getting mad because worship went 45 minutes. Okay, this has been a long worship time. Excitement going on. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, so now it gets close enough where they can see it from the palace. So everybody in Israel is all celebrating, except this one person is just sitting there in the palace looking out a window. The Michael, the daughter of Saul, and that'll be important later, watched from a window. And when she saw David, the king, King David, leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. That's an important lesson. Oh, I went too far. I guess I got rid of that part. I guess I want to say here is spectating worship can lead you to not understanding worship. I, I think of it with um, when Lazarus died and then he was raised again from the dead, 
His sisters were Mary and Martha. And then because it wasn't time quite for Jesus to die, he took off after raising Lazarus from the dead. Then he came back, because now it's only a little later, but now it is the right time for him to die. So he comes back during Passover to Jerusalem. Actually, he's in Bethany, about a mile and a half outside Jerusalem. He's having dinner with Lazarus there. So Lazarus is right there. Remember, Lazarus was dead the last time Jesus was in town, and he raised him up. And Lazarus' sister, Mary, comes to where he's eating, and Martha's feeding them. And she breaks the alabaster jar and uses spikenard, super costly, and wipes Jesus' feet, anoints him. And actually anoints him, if you read some versions and some things, it could be that he anointed not just the feet, but even his head, because of, there would have been certain practices. Jesus is there with her brother, and she is struck. She is emotionally hit. My brother was dead, he raised from the grave. A year's worth, a year's salary worth of spikenard to her is not wasteful. Jesus easily deserves this. But non-worshippers do not get this. And so Judas brings up, what a waste this is. You're wasting a year's wages on this thing. And if you read the parallels, even the other disciples were going, yeah, you're right, Judas, what a waste. But Mary, who's in love with her Lord, she's extravagant in worship. When you're caught up in extravagant worship, nothing seems a waste for God. But if you're a spectator on the outside, you don't get it. And Michael didn't get this. <clears throat> okay, further on. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place, inside the tent that David had pitched for it, because there's no temple yet. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. After he finished sacrificing all these offerings... He blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. And I actually don't have time to go into that detail. But just like, again, he's an active worshiper with authority, and then he's given the, the authority to bless others. And that's a whole nother lesson. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went home. So this is overwhelming, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of worship, a lot of celebration, and generosity of giving people food. This is just, this is powerful. This is a wonderful day. It's great celebration. And then David goes home to bless his home. David returned home to bless his household. And before he gets it very far into it, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls and his servants as any vulgar uh, fellow would. And I realize now this is the part I was supposed to say that other part. So I already said the other part that as a spectator, you don't get worship. Okay. So that's your accusation. Told you that part already. David's reply gives us a lesson, I think, here. David said to Michael, oh, by the way, I want to make this real clear. Old Testament does not give you very many examples of a healthy marriage. Okay. And actually, if you read Chronicles and you read Samuel, you'll find out David and Michael's marriage is crazy messed up long before this happens, okay? There was crazy stuff like when Saul was trying to kill him and David took off and then Michael hit it's just all this stuff. And she actually is, ends up married to another guy for a while, okay? So she actually ends up marrying some other guy. And then when David comes back, she has to leave that guy. And he ends up, the guy that lost her loved Michael a lot. He's crying like crazy. This is a lot of weird messed up stuff. Okay, because don't, 
What I'm saying is, husbands, you don't take this home and ever think this tone is the way you talk to your wife. Okay? <laughs> it gets mad. Yeah. So he said, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father and anyone from his house. Anyone from his house includes who? Her. Yeah, Michael. Michael's one of the people in the house. So he's saying, hey, I danced before the Lord. Who, by the way, chose me over your father and the rest of y'all? <clears throat> when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more indignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. The critical thing here is, Michael is of Saul's household. And so, there's something you have to remember. Saul started out humble. He started out well. Then he got success. Then it went to his head. Then he started relying on natural things. Saul re represents a kingdom of human strength, a kingdom of independence, actually a kingdom of darkness. And he actually loses the throne because he does things like, after a victory, when he's supposed to just stay in the role of king, not in the role of priest, he doesn't wait for Samuel. The reason he doesn't wait for Samuel is he gets worried because Samuel's taking longer and some of the troops are leaving. So he's concerned what other people think, and he's also concerned that my army, which is my source of strength, which shows you right there, David consistently in Psalm says, God is my strength, not armies. Saul didn't get that. He relied on the natural. And then he does a sacrifice and he loses the kingdom. There are other things that go on. Saul gets crazy jealous when David gets more glory than him. Like when they were singing, Saul's killed his thousands, David's his ten thousand. Saul is obsessed by other people's opinion, which happens if you rely on natural strength. Because you start thinking outward things and opinions of other matters. The whole way of doing everything matters. And so Michael has taken that old value of, what do people think of you? David, you're acting like an idiot. You're dancing around. you got to act like a king. you got to show it the right way. Okay? I think you're getting it. <clears throat> and I went backwards. So she's bringing the accusation from old kingdom mindset. And I want to make this a point here. David's making a point, God has now chosen me, not you. God has chosen us, not the enemy. One of the things you see in a tone in scripture is, we have an enemy that wants to destroy us because he is irritated, right? What was, what was one of Lucifer's sins? His sin was the pride of wanting to be, be the all, trying to be like God, trying to rise up. And God has said he has chosen the weak things, us, to show the glory of his grace. That bugs our enemy. That's one reason he's out to destroy us. He resents that we were chosen as the ones to display the power of God's grace. Not in our own selves, but by God miraculously doing the power of the Spirit in our lives. <clears throat> so the enemy's tactics of distraction and intimidation, it appeals to the old way. It appeals to the law of sin and death. Okay, this is, this is the way he attacks. He's an attack by guilt, regret, shame. And again, Jesus said, no, I forgave you all that. That doesn't apply to you. You aren't in that kingdom anymore. You aren't in the kingdom where your worth is based on behavior. I have already decided, I've already made up my mind about you, and I've already decided that I see you holy and blameless. 
appeals to the idea of being consumed by, consumed by appearances and externals. We didn't read it, but in that verse in Colossians where he says, he's disarmed the enemy, he says, okay, so because you've been disarmed, knock off this whole obsession about dates and times and religion and rituals and foods you can eat and can't eat. You're stuck in the old mindset. It's speculations. It's accusations. We lose our joy when we're busy speculating about what we think people are, or even just the idea that we're even looking at other people, looking at jealousy. <clears throat> so, on an airplane once, I lost my joy. And, I, I have, and when God brought it to mind, I almost laughed because I'm walking on the plane. And it's, we're going to fly this. So we're walking on a plane in San Francisco. We're going to go to New York. And I see these kids in the, in the either probably business class. I think they were in business class. And because they had changed flights, I didn't get the seat. We had paid extra for me to have legroom. So I'm stuck in the seat where my knees are right against the chair. And I just lose it in my brain. Because I'm going, I'm stuck here. And those little kids, their feet don't even reach the end of the chair. It's ridiculous. They got this big chair. I'm a big person. I should be there. You know, those, that family, they don't even know what travel's like. Like, they're going to travel their whole life in first class. They'll never understand how painful it is. And in the middle of all this, it's like a flesh of mind God saying, you're going to New York in five and a half hours. And it's like, wait a minute. I'm on a plane going to go cross country in five and a half hours, a journey that would have taken months a hundred years ago. And I'm like, wait, you're losing your joy when you get to travel cross country in a thing that's flying in the air and you're worried about the seat you're in. And again, it, it's just this, this, it just struck me as funny because you can get your eyes on other things and you lose sight of what is God providing? And so what helped my heart was, God, I'm just going to enjoy this flight with you. Obviously, I'm not going to sleep. So I'm just going to listen for your voice on this whole trip. And then I thought I'd take out my little computer, and I realized I don't even have room to do that. So I'm just going to enjoy listening <laughs> for this whole trip. Um, but again, it was like an attitude of my joy was robbed that quick because I looked at someone else. Comparison. I forgot to put that up there. But a lot of speculations, accusations is comparison. Comparison will kill your joy. It just, because it takes you out of appreciation. <clears throat> the relying on human ability and what others think. That again, that's old kingdom mindset. And I guess the reason I'm saying this is when I was asking God, what hinders our joy? Yes, it can be a lack of appreciation. But one reason we lack appreciation is we don't prepare ourselves for spiritual warfare. And the distraction of looking left and right, that gets you thinking old kingdom. Michael, you will have voices in your life. You can't avoid it. <clears throat> David comes home to bless his household and gets this voice of the enemy saying, look, this is ridiculous. You're doing crazy worship. What You look, you look nuts. You know, this is not practical. God calls us to do extravagant things that are not practical. You know, that's part of spiritual warfare is extravagant giving. But if we listen to the wrong voices, we'll think, no, no, that can't be God. And it, and it hinders us, and it loses the joy. <clears throat> so how are the authorities and powers disarmed? I beat it to death, so I want to wait for your answer. Be it by God's forgiveness, because that's where the battle is in our mind. David's mind at night is, I am thankful that you advise me. So he is listening for God's voice at night instead of rehearsing worry. Because David, when he wrote that, he had a lot to worry about. 
Okay, David had a lot of responsibility when he was king, but actually some think this was written before he was king, so he was actually being chased by people. <clears throat> and again, David's reply. David's reply, and I'm not saying we have to be this, well, actually, if you're talking to him, you can be as rude as you want, I don't care. But David's reply was, he knew who he was. God has chosen me. God has chosen me in this kingdom. Those voices, I don't have to listen to you. I'm not in the kingdom of darkness. You have no authority anymore. Well, what about the regret? You know, you know, because this happened the other day. Uh, just a reminder of a stupid thing I said about 22 years ago. And it's like, God, I'm going to learn my lesson from that 22 years, but now I'm done with it. We're moving on. I don't need that voice. I am not in the kingdom of darkness. <clears throat> Make sense? Yeah. Any thoughts on this so far? Because I'm just, we're going to close with a scripture reading, but is there anything you guys like, you have, feel like something you have to share about this? You're good? <clears throat> Sorry, I keep clicking the wrong button. So, I want to, I just want to read this again, because this is the secret to our joy. This is Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are or one to, the, one to three. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance. We talked about this last, last week, you know, or two weeks ago about hope. Hope is not optimism. Hope is the strength of endurance of knowing eventually things go well for me, no matter how bad they are now. <clears throat> run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We get tired of opposition. But it helps when we consider Jesus. He faced crazy opposition. Yeah, but they're wrong. They're dark. They don't understand. Nobody understood what's happening on the cross but Jesus, okay? The others didn't get it. And Jesus' reply was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's not saying, Father, forgive them. They didn't mean to do this. They didn't accidentally nail him on the cross. That doesn't happen by accident. They fully intentionally nailed him on the cross, but Jesus was able to look beyond that and go, they're doing that because they have no clue what's real. And I'm going to get my family back by this. And that's how we endure. And that's how we walk in hope. Amen? Amen. So, because I talked about Watts, Jerry, can we get back to close with joy to the world? Because, again, it's, it's amazing that he writes this beautiful hymn and this thing that became a Christmas carol at a time when people did not get that the joy of the Lord is our strength. But the Spirit of God was powerful in Isaac Watts. Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.